0: Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the Webby-nominated podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to my sponsor, Libro FM. Libro FM Audiobooks lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including many New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you get the same audiobooks at the same price as other audiobook companies, but you're going to be part of a much different story, one that supports the community. You can even choose which local bookstore you'd like to support, which is so cool. Listeners of my podcast can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Just go to Libro.fm, L-I-B-O. R-O dot F-M and enter code Zibby, Z I B B Y. With every time you listen to an audiobook, now you can be proud that you're supporting a local bookstore. And the best part is that I have my own playlist on Libro FM, which is so cool. So the books that have been on my podcast and that I'm recommending are now in my own playlist. If you go to Libro FM slash playlists, you can find it, which is so great. Hi listeners. I am so sorry. I did something wrong. I don't even know what I did, but the sound quality on Lauren Meckling and Marcy Dermanski's episodes is not quite up to par with my normal episodes. Honestly, I've done, I don't know. Close to 150 episodes, and this is the first time this has happened. And I am so sorry. I'm not a technical whiz, and I guess I did something wrong. So please listen anyway. It's just not perfect, which bothers me. And now is also a great time to read the transcripts of these interviews on my website zibbyowens.com/slash-transcript, which has all the transcripts for all my episodes, including a link to audio, a link to buy, and um, it's just another great way to get to know the authors. So Again, I'm really sorry. Please listen anyway, and it won't happen again. Thanks. I'm really excited
1: to be here today with Marcy Dermanski, who's the author of Very Nice, a novel. Her previous critically acclaimed novels are The Red Car, Bad Marie, and Twins. Her short fiction has been widely published and anthologized in McSweeney's, The Indiana Review, and many other publications. A fellowship recipient from the McDowell Colony and the Edward F. Albee Foundation, Marcy graduated from Haverford College and received her Master's in Arts from the Center for Writers at the University of Southern Mississippi. She currently lives with her daughter in New Jersey. True. Okay, all good? <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> yes, Welcome, Marcy. Thank you, Libby. It's so nice to be here. It's so nice to have you. Yeah. So can you please tell listeners what Very Nice is about and what inspired you to write it?
2: Okay. Yeah, I'd love to. I'm Very nice. Um, This is... um a literary soap opera. I started this because I wrote a short story for Lenny Letter, and I wanted to write, I wanted to write about a student-teacher affair, which is something, what I haven't done, but I've always just <laughs> found it. <laughs> I <was laughs> yeah, I know. We're still going to do it. I'm sorry. I ruined it. But I've just always been so interested in it. And I've kind of, it was like material that other people wrote about. And I was just jealous about I was like, maybe I can write it anyway, even though I haven't had this experience. And that's what one of the pleasures of fiction is. And so you can make things up. And once I had this affair, which starts in the very beginning of the book, the daughter takes her creative writing professor's poodle home for the summer, a standard poodle. And her mother falls in love with the standard poodle. And then when the writing teacher comes to pick up his dog, it becomes really complicated because the mother looks at the professor and she's interested in him too. And so a lot of melodrama. And it's set in contemporary America and in the new administration. And I just had so much fun writing it. It's really fun
1: to read. Oh, thank it was you. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> no, seriously, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, you mentioned early on that the professor, mm-hmm. Zahid Azam, yes, that pronouncing yeah, right? I think you are this fictitious name. <laughs> exactly. Is that, did I get his name right? You got it right. <laughs> I
2: made a joke about how it sounds like a superhero's name because I think it does sound like a superhero's yeah. name. I like that yes. starts with a Z. I feel yeah, like infinity energy. Zs, Z's are good. good. Oh, but, Z. Z. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's why. <laughs> or just randomly. Yeah. Yeah. I have a everything for Z. Um, so. Um, he has written a book in the beginning yeah. of your book, right. which had received a lot of literary acclaim and yeah. attention. And people throughout the book are like, "Oh my gosh, your book!" And I'm, you know, what are his what would his lentils taste like? You know? <laughs> um, but you, what I thought was really interesting is you said that to read it, the sentences were so long and dense that the mother Becca had trouble reading it, and other people are kind of ashamed to admit that it was a little bit dense for them. Mm-hmm. And your book had like very like short, punchy quick sentences. Yeah. So did you do that on purpose?
2: Well, that's actually, that is how I write. I've always written in this style, so it's not unusual. I like short sentences. I like repetition. So I will have short sentences that often reflect out what was just said in the sentence before. And sometimes people are like, huh, she did that again. I'm like, it was on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> but But I also do feel like in the literary world that the more complicated something is, the denser it is, the longer the paragraphs, even the longer the book, people just think, oh, this must be good. (laughs) And so maybe that's like almost a chip on my shoulder where I feel like if you write that way, that's how you're going to win awards and that's going to have, you're having praise. And so I'm sort of, I do mock the writing world a little bit in this book, which is sort of funny because I want to be part of it and I love writers.
1: Well, it's true. I mean, I feel like there's a disconnect almost between some of the, I want to say, hyper-literary, Productions yeah. and the people who read them. Yeah, because unless you have like endless amounts of time, right. it's
2: it's can take a while to get through some of these. It's really really true. Yeah, and yeah. you're like supposed to love them. I know, and you're not supposed to admit when you don't love them. Right, right. You so. just buy them, and that gives you you know you you have it on your right. shelf, and you can say that you you you've started to read it. That's all you need to do. Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So you told the story from alternating viewpoints. So you kept, like, breaking it. It's like we're watching it. I guess the soap opera was a perfect analogy. I was going to say it's like watching a movie. Um, How did you decide to structure it from all those
2: different viewpoints and to add in all these little coincidences? Yeah. I mean, the funny thing about how I write is I don't have an outline, and I don't know what I'm going to do before I do it, and everything just happens. And I basically wrote the short story, and I had so much fun writing it, and then i'm done that's mm-hmm. the problem with short story it says you write 15 pages and then you have to start something new and i, I hate starting new things mm-hmm. and i have a friend who teaches writing and she's like well why don't you just write from another perspective so it was like she gave me an assignment so i wrote from the mother and then when i finished the mother's it's like oh i'll write from the professor's point of view and that was fun and out of nowhere i still don't know where she came from i ended up writing from the writing professor's subletter, like She's so random. Like, how does she fit into the story? But once she was there, I just wanted to keep her. So I kept making coincidences to make her belong. So that Chloe, the subletter of Zahid's apartment, suddenly we find out that she's working for his student's father and later on we find out that the woman that she's had a crush on her whole life, her babysitter, well her babysitter is the he's editor mm-hmm. and it just gets more and more entangled and, and the story just sort of developed on its own and, and one thing for people who are aspiring to write, when you write alternate points of view, you instantly have a structure. You suddenly realize, oh I have these four characters, I have an order. So once you finish one point of view, you go to the next character and the next character. And so the story just builds because you're jumping to what's happening to them. But I did cheat a little bit in this book in that the father comes in and he only has his POV twice. And mm-hmm. so the good thing about writing fiction as opposed to like building a building or science or chemical <laughs> structure is you can, you can just break your format a little bit and it still, it still works. So it held together. And so. Totally. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um,
1: So what was funny in the beginning was how when Rachel comes home for the summer, Mm -hmm. Rachel is the daughter of the professor's student. She wasn't expected to go home for the summer, and she decides to go home, and her mom, Becca, has recently been left by her husband. Her dog has recently passed away. She's not in the best mindset and sort of was mentally prepared to have the summer to herself. So then Rachel all of a sudden shows up on her doorstep and she's not sure how she feels about it. So she says later, like, I felt happy now that Rachel was home. I had thought I might resent her presence. But I didn't. I genuinely liked my almost-adult Rachel. I had been allowing myself to fall into a lazy kind of depression, left by my husband, dog dead, and then Rachel came home with her laundry and this constant need to be fed the minute she walked in the door. And I got to mother her. And I liked mothering. I always had. So
2: tell me more about this feeling that she had in that. Right. I mean, it's a funny thing about mothering that you're not supposed to admit to, I don't think. You're not supposed to admit, oh my God, I don't want my daughter home for the summer. There's all these contradictions where you love your child so much, and then they go off to school, and you're just so grateful, and like <laughs> they're gone. And So I was really playing with that in this book because I have a nine-year-old daughter, and so in, in the novel. Um, Rachel is much older, she's 19, but I feel like I can still understand what it would be like to have an older child, and I also use my mother as a, as a model, because I know there are weekends where the family comes over and the grandkids come over, and she doesn't say so, but I feel like, oh, she would really have rather been alone today. And so I'm kind of using all this material from my life and my experience in watching mothers and daughters, and then kind of writing a truth and giving it to another character.
1: Have you ever asked your mom? Um, <laughs> well, it's just obvious. She Is had, it definitely it's obvious? Death. Sometimes it's I obvious. think, yeah, that my
2: mother thinks things, and she's like, "Well, you should have asked me because actually, it's not obvious." Oh, that's also true. Now, sometimes, unfortunately, well, that's interesting too. Sometimes my mom—I love my mom. I love my mom. We so, love, <laughs> really love our mom. So, my mom listens. To this. She will let you know, or sometimes she just doesn't want you to come over because she might be a little bit depressed, like this mother might be, or just having a bad day. And then when you appear. You can change your mind. People are so complex. Do you know what I mean? And yes. so I think it's both. And so I think there's this idea that you have a child and they never grow up. And you're like, oh, my God, am aren't I going to be done taking care of them? But what if you were done taking care of them? You would really miss it. And so it's sort of a pleasure to still be able to baby your adult child. And so I think it's both. And so I think I was really playing with that. That's great. Yeah. Um,
1: so Rachel has, there's this whole other element where, a student has a gun and takes the gun out on Becca, the yeah, mother. Right. This happens before the story is set. I'm kind yeah, of jumping all over with your fine. plot here. Um, <laughs> that's what the plot does. Then Rachel ends up working at a day camp for the summer, and the shoot the would-be shooter's sister is one of her campers. Yeah. And so she goes to dinner at their house one night, and um, that mother, the mother. I'm sorry. This is like sounding so convoluted. <laughs> Let me just ask this question. So the mother there yeah. is talking about what if her son had actually killed Becca, right? right? And how ho- horrible that would be. But she wrote, she that you wrote that she thought, "What would our lives be?" Amelia's mother said. She was having trouble sitting on the bar stool in their perfect kitchen. She slipped off. She was crazy drunk. We would be ruined, she said, her arms waving. That's for sure. How could you come back from such a thing? We would not be allowed back into the tennis club. That is for sure. <laughs> I couldn't believe you had her say it. So I had a totally different image of what this family was like okay. until that yeah. So tell, tell me about
2: them. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, sometimes I mean, you're not supposed to say that. You're not supposed to say. We're not allowed it back in the tennis club. But when you're in somebody's own home, you you can say whatever you want. And of course, Rachel is their witness. And then our readers are the witness. And I don't think she means it. Like she does mean it. Like if if your if your child does something that horrendous, by the way, you. You are actually kicked out of the tennis club. I'm you, sure. You are ostracized. I mean, your whole life. I mean, when somebody does something as horrific as bringing a gun into a school, the ramifications of how many lives they ruin. So I, I write about this very, very comically, but it's also very, very serious. And so it's a little bit of, of both. And I think the characters like that family, the Thorntons, they're, 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 they veer on caricature, I mean, this book has a satiric ele- element to it, but I also, you know, she was intoxicated. I make that very clear.
1: <laughs> yeah. So another sort of theme in this book is playing with people in positions of authority. Yeah. So you have Rachel with her right. professor, and then you have Chloe with her crush on her former babysitter, right. and sort of you alluded to what may have gone on in the past between the two of them. What, what was that about?
2: It's so interesting because I had. It's funny when I always feel like I love when people read my books and they're like, "You're writing about people in authority." And I'm like, "Oh my god, I did that, <laughs> and it wasn't intentional." But I think I think that's probably really common: is to to look up to people who have more authority and, and who know more, and then to sometimes have inappropriate feelings. And so I think that that's what it's about. And so I mean, I mean, it's. I yeah. feel like it's also very timely. Like it's yeah. been in the news
1: so much lately, oh, even yeah. with like the gymnastics scandal oh, and gosh. just like so many of these. Yeah i don't know relationships that might not have been condoned yeah
2: um this is not you know in this book but i feel like relationships between professors and their students has just been happening since the the age old and suddenly now you can't now it's a bad thing and, and i think that's a good thing by the way i don't have a problem with that but i think it's age old and i think it's happened for as long and i think people are always i think the funny thing about about sex is people want to like, legislated and make morals to it, and it's just, it's just so messy, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so, you—you you, people just behave really, really <laughs> badly, and they're not bad people. And so, well, except maybe the babysitter they're, they're bad people in this book, but, but I, I like them all. That's a funny thing. I write these characters, and they really do kind of atrocious things, and they don't always treat each other very well, and it's strange that I feel affection for every single one of them, because I actually do and so yeah well they become so real i mean yeah.
1: that sounds cliche yeah. oh your characters become so real. but right. i mean it like That's because they, i think because they're flawed
2: yeah right when characters are too perfect
1: yeah and
2: you don't believe them and i think i mean with this book it's all in the first person so i'm so in their minds and in their heads and so a lot of the writing is sort of um almost dream of consciousness. I'm just going in and I'm giving everybody its crazy thoughts and maybe that's so honest and maybe hopefully that makes them relatable even when a mother is trying to have sex with her daughter's (laughs) boyfriend, doesn't (laughs) she's not her boyfriend. You know what I mean? It's always a secret, so it makes things better. Post your free job on
0: linkedin.com slash people today.
1: Um, so Rachel is surprised. So this is more about sort of the dad's point of view, yeah. you know, Mm so he leaves the wife, leaves Becca, right? but then he kind of regrets it later, once the dust has settled, and she realizes that her dad is not so happy, so she goes, my poor dad, it was not what I was supposed to hear from my father, who was always upbeat, who was in control of his universe, he's like this big banking guy, successful, whatever, Uh, who played tennis and racquetball and went running, who made tons of money, wore expensive suits, so is the implication that the wealthy, powerful person, or person is not supposed to feel lonely, right? Because sure. you, you had also said that he was in the second tower when the plane hit on 9-11 and had walked down the stairs and escaped to Connecticut,
2: so it's not like he hadn't been through a lot of stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah, um, I like you're almost giving him more depth than what I wrote, so yeah. I appreciate it. No, I think it's there. Um, I think there's something about teenagers, about people, that they don't really see their parents as real people. And so, like, like Rachel would come home for the summer and give her mother her laundry and she would act snotty and petulant and be like, I'm in a bad mood and I don't care what you think. And I think it's the same thing with her father. And it doesn't even really occur to her that he could have feelings or that he could be suffering or because people are rich. There's just this idea that, well, I mean, I think Rachel is rich too, but that rich people have to be happy because they have everything. And, of course, that's not how it actually is. There's still people with emotions and feelings and struggle and new problems from having money. But I think Rachel just doesn't see him. As a person, he's just dad. And I think once your dad leaves your mother for a younger woman, that complicates things, too. And so then if you do something like that, if you do something as stupid as leaving your mother for a younger woman, then you at least shouldn't regret it, or you shouldn't be happy, or you shouldn't expect her sympathy. So she's a little bit bratty, I think. And I like her, too, by the way. But she definitely is only thinking about herself. That's probably true.
1: um yeah. Yeah. becca also yeah. just this funny part about things you're not supposed to admit right. as a mom talks about how she like basically does not remember having rachel as a oh, baby yeah. like that right. she doesn't remember the entire infancy stage at all and, and rachel was sort of like
2: yeah.
1: what right. <laughs>
2: um, and i thought about that and i i thought you i i the, the question really resonates with me because this is where there's truth in there's fiction and i'm not from connecticut and i have really really middle class kind of upbringing and so there's fiction, and then I'm pulling everything into the characters. And one time, I think my mother was talking about being a mother, and she had three kids, and it, she was wanted to be working and wasn't working and I think she was a little bit overwhelmed and unhappy and one time she just sort of said that to me as an offhand comment she actually said I don't really remember your childhood she said I think memory has a way of protecting you from remembering how unhappy you are oh, oh I know it's, and that's really heartbreaking it broke my heart it made me feel so sad I was like you don't remember my childhood I mean she does you know it's, what it it's mean? heartbreaking yeah. for both of you yeah, that, that conversation I it was so sad and somebody tells you something like that and then like 10 years later, you you put it in your book, and you give it to somebody else, and so, yeah, and and, and I have a wonderful relationship with my mom, and I visit her all the time, and she's a great grandmother, and that was just something, I guess you say something like that, and she didn't, I don't think she was aware of the fact that it was going to hurt me, which was interesting, I think she had no awareness, and so, I put it in this book and then Rachel snaps back. And so there's there's this fun thing that you can do in fiction where you can you can respond differently to something that happens. You can take a moment or you can take a memory and then you can change it or you can you can just use it. And so I sometimes actually just in terms of writing, when you meet strangers or people who meet writers, I'm always like, oh, I hope you put me in your book. And I think never, never, never wish to be in somebody's book because you never know what a writer's going to do. And it's so it's so scary when you write because you never want to hurt the people that you love and you never want to go too far. And you, but at the same point, I always, I don't know how people write memoir, by the way, because it's true. But as a writer, there's just like, if you want something to turn out well if you don't use your life and your material and your story then you don't have anything and so it's really kind of stealing and it's not always that nice and i try so hard to be nice but you (laughs) asked me this question and i thought well let me try to be truthful about it so yeah yeah yeah, i appreciate that okay Okay. thank you (laughs) um yeah
1: you Going back to this gun control situation, just for two seconds, because it does come up again at other points in the book and um, of courses through
2: it. Was that sort of like another grab from the headlines thing? It was. I mean, there was an interesting thing. I wrote this book after after, um, Donald Trump was elected. And I mean, every reader can come from a different perspective, but I know so many different writers where we were all just sort of stuck. We were just like, caught off guard, like what can we write that matters and how can we have anything to say at all and the world is so crazy and everything is so different. And so I started to write a literary soap opera. And so what really, really surprised me is when I'm writing this literary soap opera and it becomes political there's a, a the, the husband and wife in this book before they were divorced were having fights about whether like, they liked Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders. I mean, it was just sort of hilarious, but that was actually true. And I mean, I had friends on Facebook, like female friends who stopped talking to each other because they felt so strongly about Bernie versus Hillary. I mean, it got nuts where people stop being friends for a short period of time, which is just not, doesn't make sense. But, but with the whole idea of gun control, like I just kind of wrote that in as, as a detail. This mm-hmm. is part of my writing process and that I don't have outlines and I don't plan but I just like the idea of this mother having saved um having saved a boy or like not had it. there's a gun incident in my book but nothing bad happens so that's a spoiler <laughs> Okay, Okay, I can give another spoiler, too. The dog, people worry about this dog. Just completely unrelated. Nothing bad happens to the dog. All right. <laughs> Rest assured. Rest assured. That, it's I mean, all okay. But so nothing Nothing bad happens to this boy and the gun. But once I once you put in a gun and you put a, a child entering into a school, you can't just be haphazard. It has to matter. You have mm-hmm. to work with it. And so once I put that into the novel, I had to go backwards and kind of write it in and make it part of the story and think about it. And, hope, yeah, so that's. There's a, there's also a checkout quote about, you know, I mean if you have a loaded gun it has to go off in a book. So where did you write this book? Where did I write this book? I envision
1: yeah. you like at that cafe that you had Becca at with the dog when yeah, he and drives after up an outdoor cafe, and after yeah. cafe right. like in Connecticut this bucolic, <laughs> like lovely. Please, but maybe you were doing it, like, in the middle of Midtown, or I don't know. No,
2: that's a good question, it's a funny place, because I actually wrote this in cafes. It's funny. It's a book set in Connecticut, where I'm not from. I have friends from Connecticut, and I, I have an envy issue, and I've been into homes like this, so I'm like, oh, my God, they're so nice. So that's another thing about fiction, is I put my characters, they got to live in a house I don't get to live in, but I wrote this book in cafes in Montclair. Like so, I did. I wrote all of it in cafes, which they're very strange places to write. I don't know if you try it; they're, they they can be great, they can be terrible. You can't you cannot get the table you want. They can be crowded, people can get loud, and you're so deep inside your head and you're writing. And so that's what I did. I had this like memory I had. One time I was writing a scene where the parents were fighting. It was this really intense scene. And I got up to move because the people were too loud at me at the table next to me. So I moved to another table. And the people who worked at the cafe just said, Oh, you can't sit there because that's a table where you can't have computers. I was like, What? And so it it was this strange process. And I wrote I wrote a sex scene in a cafe where it was really, really crowded and I didn't know that I was going to be doing that. And I felt my face just turning bright red. And I just kept on going because I gave myself like sort of word count limits. And so it was an odd writing experience.
1: Wow.
2: Uh, yeah. I love that. Right. Um, that's so
1: funny. My issue yeah. with writing in cafes, which yeah. I do like, I, yeah. I, I. I was doing a lot of writing a couple years ago like this one pan on the upper west side yeah. and like I had the place I like to go and whatever mm-hmm. but then when you have to like go up and use the bathroom oh, I gosh. never know what to do with all my stuff you... and then I do I have to bring it and then I lose my table and have yeah. I even paid Right. and then I'm like distracted from what I'm doing it's which really is bad. not that
2: I have like a yeah, right? no, like you there, there, there for hours yeah. or whatever, even two, you know. You leave, I usually leave my stuff and I kind of look at a neighbor like, well, you watch it, but how do you know they're not going to leave? It's just, you have to just put trust into the world. yeah, but yeah I, I have the same issue. But I, I don't mind writing in like a loud environment. Yeah. Like, I think it's... Sometimes, it's, I mean, if you have the perfect environment, it's just so precious and everything is just so nice that you're like, it's too much pressure. Mm-hmm. And so, and I also, I mean, I, I do a lot of writing in the summer. And I, I know that summer I had applied to, to to a lot of residencies. And residencies in the summer, everybody wants to go in the summer. All the professors want to go, and it's just the ideal time. And I didn't get into any. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to – I mean, I think there's the whole idea of a room of your own and the perfect writing space, and I would love to have one, but I, they're just absolutely not necessary. If you want to write, you can write anywhere, and you don't have to go somewhere nice and pretty. And I did um, – I went to the Edward Albee um, – residency once in Montauk and it was just so beautiful that I almost didn't write at all because every day I just got on my bicycle and I went to the beach (laughs) and so I was like oh my goodness I have a month at the beach (laughs) and so if I'm just sort of like at home I can I can work and you know I didn't go on a great vacation that summer but I wrote most of a lot of a book. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you working on a new book? I am thinking of ideas. I'm sort of struggling. I'm just sort of typing, and, and I feel like I'm a very fast writer, but the beginning is actually my, my hardest part of the process, and so I haven't settled on what I want to write yet, and I know I will be really happy when I, when I pick that story. How yeah. long did this book take to write? This book was strangely quick. I think I wrote the whole beginning to end, kind of rewriting as I go in about eight months. So.
1: Yeah. And how closely do you work? I know your editor, Jenny yeah. Jackson, He's yeah. like the
2: nicest person. He's the nicest person.
1: How yeah. much editing, like how closely is that, like how much input or like what's that relationship like? Or do you yeah. just like
2: hand it in and it's basically done? Well, no, it's never quite like that. But I mean, this, this book is just kind of came almost as a gift, I guess, because I handed it in and there were some line edits and there were some questions. And somehow the very last scene of the book was written in the point of view of the mother instead of the daughter and, and that was clearly like a bad decision and it wasn't even her turn i think i talked earlier about point of view what turn all the voices it was supposed to be the daughter's turn and i think i was a little bit scared to do it so my editor had me rewrite the last chapter using the point of view that it should be that was going to be the strongest and that was a bit of work because the last scene is really crazy and it was really important to get it right but otherwise it it wasn't that much i've had other editorial experiences where i've been asked to do a lot more and so i think as an editor it's probably almost as difficult to have a light touch as it is to have a heavy heavy hand so it was really really helpful and and not difficult do you yeah. do a lot of reading yourself? Oh, I love to read, yeah. When do you find time to read? When do I find time to read? I read, I mean, unfortunately I read mainly at night before I go to bed, and so a lot of times I am falling asleep with the book on top <laughs> of my head, and then I don't read as much as I do want to, and I read on vacation, and I read on the train, but mainly in the middle of the day, it's this funny idea where I always feel like I'm supposed to be doing something, mm-hmm. and so it's hard to read at two o'clock in the afternoon, and so I wish, I want to change that mindset a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's like mm-hmm. a permission you have to give yourself. Yeah, you really do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, you look at your phone, and that's just a bad habit. Yeah.
1: Do you have um, any advice? I know you've already given advice, okay. but yeah. any advice to
2: aspiring authors? Um, I was thinking about that a little bit, about about so many people, when they're writing a novel, there's just this goal. There's this goal for publication, and it's so, so strong. And I want it to, I think. Um, everybody wants to get published to the point where they want they want their book to be done, like, I, they're just like, I can't stand this book. I've been working for so long. I want it to be finished. And I feel like it's really important to remember just, like, how great it is to be writing. Like, right now, I'm not working on a novel that I'm in love with. Like, I'm just sort of struggling for my idea, so I'm not in that writing zone. And I just miss it. Like, I will envy people who are writing, even though they've never been published. I'm like, oh, but you're writing every day. And so I think it's important to remember, like, to really appreciate the process and how great it is and to not to not be thinking about what happens when I sell the book and how it will change my life because then it just, there are just too many expectations and too much pressure. And so I would tell writers to really just enjoy working on it. Yeah. Excellent advice. Okay,
1: okay. <laughs> Well, thank <laughs> so you for this very nice book, yeah. um, which was really fantastic. Okay. Perfect for the summer with a little pool yeah. cover, little water. looks like I spilled, but I didn't. It's right. awesome. I love it. Thanks so much. Okay. So, so
2: fun to do this.
0: Thanks again to my sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and at Zibby Owens and my new podcast at Kids Do Have Time to Read. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com.